Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Please be seated. I love these women. Don't you love these women? They woke up early. They couldn't wait. They had to get there. But of course, no one is as fast as our Lord Jesus. You've often heard me say that no one can keep up with him. And yet he slows down and takes time for us. But what I love about the women is how they flee. Fear and astonishment, it says. Terror and ecstasy had taken hold of them, and so they fled out of that tomb, and I think we all would too. But if this is the way his friends react, if this is the way his beloved disciples respond to his resurrection, then you, can you imagine the terror that must fill the enemies of our Lord Jesus? If the women are filled with fear and astonishment and they are his beloved disciples, then imagine what his resurrection means for his enemies. Arise, O Lord, and judge thy cause, and let thy enemies be scattered. Today, let all the enemies of Christ flee. And by the enemies of Christ, I mean those enemies that hang so close around us. I mean let sin be scattered away. Let sin flee in terror because sin is done away with through the cross of Jesus Christ. And let death, let death depart. Let death not hang its wicked veil over our faces any longer. Let us not fear death, for death too must flee. If even his friends, if even his friends flee before our mighty Lord, then what must it mean for his enemies. And let the evil one, let the evil one, that wicked foe, Satan, the one who has opposed us since the beginning, let him take note. For if the friends of Jesus Christ flee in fear and astonishment, what must it mean for his enemies? I'll tell you what it means for his enemies. It means the end of his enemies. It means the end of sin. It means the end of death. And it means the end of the power of the devil. If this is how his friends react to the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ, then only imagine, only imagine what it must mean for his foes. For Christ is risen. Christ is risen and all of his enemies must flee before him. Every knee must bow to him. And even his friends, even his friends are startled by the might and the power and the majesty and the glory and the dominion of our Lord Jesus Christ. They fled in fear. They fled for astonishment had taken hold of them. And that astonishment, that fear, that ecstasy only departed and their mouths were open after they had met their risen Lord. For Christ does not come to scare his friends. Oh, he comes to scare his enemies. Make no mistake. Those who oppose the Lord Jesus Christ will not find him to be a cute and kind and nice and gentle Lord. Those who oppose Jesus, sin and death and the devil will find that he is far stronger than they ever could have imagined. But those who love him, you who love the Lord Jesus, you have nothing to fear from him. There is no reason to fear on Easter Sunday morning, but there is great reason for rejoicing. There is great reason for ecstasy. There is great reason for that holy terror that takes hold of every heart that believes that your Jesus is risen. This is the good news, that Jesus is risen. You heard the angels say it to those women. He is 
risen. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And it's even shorter than having to remember John 3.16, right? The gospel in a nutshell, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed, that's a lot. You know what you can do today? You can just memorize this. He is risen. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But it begs the question, doesn't it? Who is he? Who is he that his resurrection should mean anything to you? Who is he that his resurrection should mean joy to his friends? Who is he that his victorious arising should bring anything resembling happiness to our hearts? Well, the angels tell you. He is the crucified one. Jesus is the crucified one. Notice I didn't say he was the crucified one. The English translation kind of buries this for you. When the angels told those women, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, he who was crucified, it makes you think that, you know, Jesus got over his crucifixion. But you remember, don't you? Jesus never gets over his crucifixion. His body, his dazzling body, forever bears those marks. And that is supremely good news. For he who is risen is the same one who was crucified. We'd like to get past that fact, wouldn't we? Oh, don't talk about crucifixion. Don't talk about blood. Don't talk about sad things on Easter Sunday morning, Pastor. But I have to because those things are not sad at all. They are the very thing that gives this message. He is risen. It's joy. Because if anyone else was risen, if anyone else was risen, or if Jesus rose and somehow he said, you know what, I changed my mind about everything. If anyone else was risen or if he rose as someone else, it would not be good news at all to say he is risen. I've said it often this way before. If I told you, hey guys, my grandpa is risen, you would all look at me and say, well, good for you, pastor, but who cares Who cares if some guy from history was risen? Who cares if someone who you love even is risen? But if Jesus, the crucified one, if Jesus who bore your sins to the cross, if Jesus, if Jesus, that righteous man who suffered in place of the unrighteous, if Jesus, that innocent and holy man, if Jesus, the eternal son of God, if he, the crucified one, is risen and is still forever the crucified one, then then we have reason to rejoice. Because what it means, what it means that he is still now and forever the crucified one is that his kingdom, and make no mistake, Christ is a great king. His kingdom is one where his crucifixion sets the agenda. You can think of it this way this morning. This is Jesus's um, It's his royal title. Kings often take on a new name when they become the king, right? And when Jesus is enthroned, he doesn't say, you know, I think I'd like to change my name. He says, no, I will forever be known as the crucified one. And so if you want to have that joy that filled the women, if you want to have the joy that filled the disciples and not the terror that scares the devil in hell, then you must know that Jesus who is risen is the Jesus who was crucified, and he will never forget it. He can never forget it, for those marks, those glorious marks, are engraved in his hands and his feet, and that spear is forever marking his side. Those are the marks of who Jesus is. But what does it mean that he is risen? After all, there were plenty of other people 
Well, maybe plenty is a stretch. There were others who had come back from the dead. You remember how the prophets Elijah and Elisha had raised up some people in the Old Testament. And you remember, don't you, how Jesus, in his own ministry, had raised three people from the dead. You remember how he raised the widow's son outside of Nain. That guy came back from the dead. You remember how he raised that little girl, Talitha, Kumi, he said, and she came back from the dead. And who could forget? Who could ever forget his friend, Lazarus? Who could ever forget the man who was stinking up the tomb for four long days and Jesus spoke into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth? And he did. They were all risen, right? Well, they were all back from the dead, but they weren't risen. Because what it means to be risen is that you have death in the rearview mirror. What it means to be risen is that death no longer has dominion over you. And Jesus, when he is risen, he doesn't just come back to how things were before. How sad would that be? How sad would it be if when our Lord rose, if his mighty victory just meant more of the same old, same old? I mean, it might have been nice for the disciples, but... Jesus was hardly a resounding success. Jesus was hardly well-received by all kinds of people. And so if he is risen and come back to the same thing that he was before, if he is risen still in his weakness, if he is risen still in his humiliation, well then, what hope is there? But see, when it says he is risen, it means he is risen with all that behind him. He is risen, and so now nothing can prevent him from fulfilling his promises. He is risen. He is risen, and death no longer has dominion over him. Sin no longer has any hold over him. There is no force in this world that any longer can do anything to our Lord Jesus, for he is risen with those things behind him. And what does that mean for you? Well, it means that you have a mighty King. It means you have a dear friend who was crucified for your sins and that the ruler of heaven and earth, the one who the angels praise in heaven, he is the one, he is the one who rules everything. He is the one who rules in your heart. He is the one who rules over the nations, even when we don't see how that can possibly be the case. He is the Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to the crucified one. For he is risen. And what it means for you is that you must become leavened with his resurrection. Isn't that the way our epistle spoke of it today? It spoke of us as a lump. Now, I don't know how many of you like to look in the mirror and think, man, I look lumpy today. I don't know how many of you would like to go home and say, Jesus is risen and so I can be a lump of bread dough. But that's what St. Paul says, and here's what he means. In the Old Testament, when they celebrated the Passover, right? Remember the Passover? How God had brought them out of Egypt, that little mini glimpse of the resurrection, how he brought them out of Egypt into the new land. They were to celebrate the Passover by eating unleavened bread for a whole week. They had left Egypt and all its pomp and all its show and all its gods and all its evil and all its wickedness. And in order to remind the people of Israel that they were something new, that they were completely new, God said, leave behind everything about Egypt. Leave behind its gods, leave behind its works, leave behind its ways, leave behind its empty philosophies and become brand new. 
And they were even, they were even to leave behind the leaven, the yeast of Egypt. Now, what that meant for them was probably this. Whenever they would make new bread dough, I don't think they had active dry yeast packets like we do. I don't think they were packaging that stuff up in Egypt. And so when you made a new batch of bread, it was kind of like how we make sourdough, right? You reserve a little bit of that lump that is already leavened. And when you make the next loaf of bread, you put the old stuff in with the new. Well, when Christ is risen from the dead, all that old stuff needs to stay where it belongs in the past. All that old stuff needs to stay where it belongs, dead in the grave. All that old leaven, all the works and all the ways of Egypt, all the empty thoughts of Egypt, and when I say Egypt, I mean the old sinful world, all of that needs to stay in the grave. It has no place in you. It has no home in your heart because you, you are unleavened bread. You are something new. St. Paul puts it this way, leave behind, leave behind malice and envy. Oh, how common these things are for us, aren't they? Oh, how easy it is for the air of the world around us to get in here. For all the things that the world loves to rejoice in and to celebrate, to be envious of one another, to be jealous of one another, to act with malice and envy and deceit, it is so easy for that. It's like yeast getting into bread. It just happens. And a little bit of it, you know this to be true, a little bit of it, if you allow even a little bit to enter into your heart and into your mind, pretty soon everything is full of envy and evil and malice. Today you are called to cut all that stuff off, to throw it away, to repent from all of those things, to repent from thinking like Egypt, to repent from thinking like Babylon, to repent from thinking like the old sinful world, and to be filled with something far better. Because here's the great thing. Jesus doesn't just say, all right, leave it all behind and just be blank and empty. Unleavened bread is kind of blank. It's kind of empty, isn't it? It's not exactly the most exciting thing to eat. But suppose, but suppose that there was a new and different kind of leaven. Suppose that you could have a bread that you've never tasted before. Wouldn't you want to sign up for it? Well, that depends, doesn't it? Would it be any good? Jesus says the new bread, the new leaven that his resurrection and his spirit has brought into the world is this, the bread of sincerity and truth. It's kind of a scary thing to be sincere with one another, isn't it? Because it's much safer to be deceitful. It's much safer to kind of reserve some part of yourself, to put on a show, to not actually reveal what you really desire in life, to not actually talk about things that matter and things that are real. It's easy to put on a show. But Christ is risen so that you might be sincere so that you might be sincere in confessing your sins. You have nothing to hide from him. He died for every last one of your sins. You can be sincere about your own sinful condition, and you can be sincere, sincere in your trust in Jesus. It doesn't have to be an act. Do you see? Being a Christian does not have to be an act. It doesn't have to be something that you say, well, I guess it's Easter Sunday, so I'm supposed to go because there's breakfast and there's an Easter egg hunt and all my family. You can be sincerely believing that Jesus is risen from the dead. 
You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to put on an act for him. After all, how could you trick Jesus? You might be able to trick one another. You can certainly trick me. I'm not all that clever. But none of us can trick Jesus. So be sincere. Be open with him and find how sincere and open he is with you. Celebrate the feast by being filled with sincerity and by being filled with truth. Let us not speak in half truths. Let us not speak in half lies. Let us not speak with any hidden motives. Let us not be suspicious of one another, but let us be open. Let us be open and honest and forgiving, for this is the way that Jesus is with us. This is the way that you celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. This is the way that you celebrate the Passover that has come. This is the way that you celebrate Easter, by eating the bread of sincerity and truth that he fills with his own body. And as you eat that bread, become like what you eat, open like Jesus, sincere like Jesus, honest like Jesus, and, and make no mistake, victorious like Jesus, for Christ is risen, dear friends. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.